0: Of that album compilation edition covering soundtracks tribute albums best of box sets and more Listeners, this is Eric Reanimator, and I am back. This time around, I'm going to be talking about the band King's X, and I'm specifically going to be talking about their first five records and how that related to my life and how they became albums that I love and then eventually albums that maybe I don't listen to as much as I once thought I would. Last episode, I talked about Queen's Reich and how In 1990-1991, they kind of became my favorite band. Well, King's X was the next band to become my favorite band, where maybe Queensryche was talking about social disillusionment, some of the issues of the 80s that maybe I didn't realize were going on. King's X was much more personal, and much more in the vein of, of what I needed in my life at the time. They're one of those bands that become defining for a person, for me, especially during these era, this era of my life when I was in college, when I was very much uh, adrift from a lot of things. Uh, and uh, In thinking about this band and what I was going to say about them leading up to this recording, I have to realize and I have to admit that this was a period of my life when my political ideals were becoming formed to what they are now, where my religious views were becoming what they are now and quite frankly where my acceptance of how my personal romantic life was going to evolve was becoming a reality and there was a lot about what King's X was saying in their music that spoke to me and nothing on their first album which was the third or fourth album I heard by them spoke to me more than the song Goldilocks. So before we get into my relationship with this band, let's talk a little bit about the group. Formed uh, in the 80s, originally called Sneak Preview, the members of King's X played in various Christian rock bands around the Christian music scene of that era. Eventually, they would move to uh, Houston and come to the attention of a former ZZ Top producer named Sam Taylor, who would then get them signed to uh, Megaforce Records. From there, they would go to Megaforce's parent label, Atlantic, for a couple of records in the 90s, and then, like so many other bands of that era, be dropped, wind up on Metal Blade Records. Along the way, they would have some commercial success, especially with a song called It's Love. We'll get to that in a while. They would attract the attention of notable musicians, such as Jeff Amit of Pearl Jam and then become a cult act. Musically, they were technically proficient or are, I should say, they are still around and still touring, technically proficient musicians playing hard rock with three-part harmony and progressive tendencies. This is a genre I refer to as Texas melodic metal. Progressive metal, maybe. In their wake would follow Sam Taylor projects like Black Cowboys, who I'm also a fan of, and the Atomic Opera, who I'm also a fan of, you can see the and hear the through line of hard rock, melodic, harmony vocals, along with a lyrical exploration of faith, outsiderness, spirituality, disillusionment, love, and joy to a certain degree. Well, never an out-and-out Christian band. The members were, in fact, Christians, or potentially still are. That's a little murky, and to be honest, that's one of the things that makes them intriguing to me, is that they are not saying that we are Christians, or this is what it means to be a Christian. They are saying that they are struggling with their faith and what it means to be who they are. There's a reason I said that. So... After their first album, Out of the Silent Planet, which, bonus points if you know that is a C.S. Lewis reference, they released another album that's also a C.S. Lewis reference in its concept, although maybe it's a little harder to pick up, called Gretchen Goes Nebraska. And of the original four albums, this is their masterpiece. And it featured songs like these. (laughs) ¶¶ As I was discovering this music and really digging into it, my life was not going the way i hoped, which is the truth for most people. I had left my hometown of Ann Arbor, Michigan, hoping never to return. It had not been a good run here. I had been outcast from my peers. I did not fit in. And there were things about me that made that happen, but there were also things that were other people's choices. And when I landed in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan to go to college, I figured I'm going to go to a place that was going to be more conservative, more people have to go to church, and it will be a little more accepting. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't that there weren't more conservative people or that there weren't more people who were involved with having to go to church. It was that the other part of their culture was something that I was completely alienated from. I did not have high school sports, did not have school play, did not have prom, we did not have 7th and 8th, 9th and 10th grade rivalries. And all of that just did not fit. So I went from one place I didn't fit into another. And a lot of what King X was talking about really hit home with me with that. Not fitting in, not finding acceptance, questioning which reality I belonged in, questioning where and who was I. So on a social level, I wasn't making friends that were going to be there for the rest of my life. In fact, I don't know a single person that I went to that university with. Even in this day and age of social media, I've never been in contact with anybody from the year and a half I spent at Lake Superior State. And... On a more personal level, I, I did not find somebody who I connected with on a romantic level. There were a couple of women that I was interested in who, let's face it, may or may not have been interested in me, but I never found out and I never pushed it. And that was something else that King's X was talking about. When you're 19 years old, trying to make your way into a world, put the past behind you, that can be a very hard fall tonight While in the cult of King's X, and there is one, Gretchen Goes to Nebraska is considered to be their best early album. And when I say original albums, I'm talking the initial run of four records before some stylistic changes happened. Uh, They put out some good records after that, but they're not the same. Anyway, Faith, Hope, and Love produced the single It's Love, which got... Uh, video airplay on MTV with kind of a fun, goofy video. The song definitely is of the era. Listening to it now, almost 30 years later, I can definitely hear that late 80s, early 90s, hard rock, slightly funk, bass-heavy, fun kind of energy to the song. So it's not really shocking that in that pocket between basically... Bon Jovi and Nirvana that this song would come and kind of be a bridge now I've talked about this before I actually did an episode way way back uh, back in April of 2017 where I talked about Kings X driving and cry and, and Queen's Reich. I'll leave you to guess what next month's topic is gonna be at any rate this song was their hit and it's infectious, it's filled with joy, it's got more of a, I don't know what you call it, an energy? Uh, That's not right, because the other songs have energy. It just maybe hit the right notes at the right moment in the right time frame and place. I don't know, anyways, it's a pretty great song. The one thing that maybe we need to talk about here is probably the biggest musical disagreement not even disagreement schism between myself and Morris and that's he loves the Beatles I'm kind of eh on the Beatles I don't hate the Beatles I hate the cult of the Beatles but I don't hate the Beatles obviously King's X is drawing a lot from the Beatles as far as use of the harmonies and complex arrangements and musicianship and using things like sitar So, sure, the Beatles were an influence, but you can't just chalk it up to the Beatles. Whatever it is that King's X brought together as far as maybe Rush and ZZ Top and the Beatles and Jimi Hendrix and whoever else they were listening to, Pat Travers Band. It's maybe more the fact that this power trio from Houston featuring a Native American black man with a kind of hard backstory and uh, identity issues is fronting, you know, these two white guys from this one from New Jersey and one from the South. And they make this music together. That's both hard and soulful. It's both soft and acoustic and loud and overdriven. Uh, They were also one of the first bands to use the drop D tuning that became so popular with grunge. And their songs were epic. That's all there is to it. So for me, by the time we get to the fall of uh, 1992, my sophomore year at Lake Superior State, at this point I'm pretty sure I'm in the possession of the first four Kings X albums. It became clear that Lake Superior State was not socially the place I needed to be. Academically I did okay and I did make some friends and I did do some interesting professional development kinds of things but it was just not tenable for me and so i did what i thought the right thing to do was which was transfer to michigan state university where my two best friends were already going to school and i promptly moved into the area of campus where they were living and started spending a lot of time hanging out with another friend of theirs who was really into music who was also a kings x fan who Later on, I would go to my first King's X show with, and even later on, we would have a major falling out, in part because of my stubbornness, but also in part because he lied to me about a woman, which is kind of on brand for what King's X was dealing with, as far as questions of love and fitting in. At any rate, I hope that in playing some faith hope and love that you could hear kind of a more joyful record so what we're listening to now is off of their follow-up the self-titled um king's x would which had another minor hit and probably the second song by them people know and it's called black flag and here it is <laughs>
1: Surprise the scope of-
0: Mythology is that grunge came and wiped away hair metal? If you were a band like King's X who was caught kind of between the two, the question was which side of the fence were you going to land on? King's X managed to land kind of on neither side. They had grown a fan base that was pretty substantial, not just in the heavy metal world and not just in the alternative rock world. In listening to these songs for this episode, I can hear now so much more of what was borrowed by bands like Smashing Pumpkins, for instance, in some of their hit songs. Or there's a certain kind of light funkiness that maybe Red Hot Chili Peppers were surfing on for, well, to this day, probably, that you can hear. And Why King's X never became bigger? uh, Who knows? Marketing times, you know, shifting uh, priorities at record labels and whatnot. But by the time you get to the album following The Self Titled, you have them working with Pearl Jam producer Brendan O'Brien, you have them going for a slightly different sound, and you have them pulling back on the two-singer dynamic that they had carried throughout their music. Now, there's some songs that, you know, uh, there's Doug, the bass player, and Ty, the guitar player, trading off vocals, and then there are some songs where it's Ty and some songs where it's Doug. There's one song later on where it's their drummer, Jerry. But I recall reading at the time that one of the notes from the label was, well, people are confused by two singers, so just one of you, so they focused on Doug, as the singer. it is the feeling the no pain feeling pain dealing with pain both well, social and emotional and that's kind of where I was as I drifted through college you know I did eventually graduate and uh, actually saw Kings X for the last time live during my last couple of credits for university it was a uh, 1996 in Atlanta in July. There's some other things going on there, uh, international sporting events and high-profile bombing, that kind of thing, but I made sure that I got to see King's X with Opening X, Galactic Cowboys. <clears throat> 1996 saw the release of the album Ear Candy, which I'm just gonna give a brief mention. Uh, it's one of my favorites. It's them figuring out that while I Dogman was fine that it wasn't gonna break them and that uh, sometimes you just got to be the band you're gonna be and you just got to go with it and when things don't work out they don't work out so you know that's just kind of how it goes Candy, they were pretty much done with the major label. This was the era of the. I know, I know, I'm gonna say it again because, till people get it, I gotta keep saying it. The Telecom Act of 1996 destroyed the music industry in America. Probably had something to do with the destruction of America as a whole. It's a whole nother rant. Suffice it to say that. As I moved on to another phase of my life, so did this band that had meant so much to me. Their next couple of albums were kind of weird, experimental. They said, we're gonna do whatever we want, fine. You know, there's some good stuff in there. None of it really hit me in the way that these earlier recordings had. These uh, first, I guess, five albums that we're talking about here, maybe six. Six albums, all of which I think are great. And while I don't listen to them as constantly as I once did, when I do listen, it's like visiting an old friend. In a past that is long gone, and that is, I mean, grow increasingly older, it becomes increasingly distant, and I know that none of this is is more insightful than anything anybody else that hasn't, you know, seen their generation hit the half-century mark. Hasn't said at some point in time. I don't know what 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 is there. What is there to continue to say? Um, I do want to say, if you listen this far, thank you. This has been Eric's musical therapy session, and maybe just maybe somebody else out there had a similar experience. Maybe not with this band, but maybe with another band. All right, I hate to overstay my welcome, so. We'll be ne- back next month with my final Compilation Edition episode. And hope to hear, or hope you listen then. For now, a little more King's X. Enjoy. Enjoy.